We're going to continue in our Matthew series this morning. We're preaching just passage by passage, story by story through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, It's been a wonderful journey thus far. Uh, Jesus pastoring us and teaching us um, how to be his followers. And we're coming now to Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. That's Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 20. And I've asked Ian if he could read it for us this morning. Uh, And so, Ian, if you could jump on and read it for us, that'd be fantastic. Awesome. So that's Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 20. And we like to use the ESV version. So um, if you're wondering what version we're using, that's the one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honour his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Wonderful. Thanks, brother. All right, let's join in prayer. Our God and Father, we ask that you may bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, as we come to this passage today, uh, we come right into the middle of a spiritual debate between Jesus and their uber-religious leaders of the day. At first glance, as you read this passage, you may think, this debate seems completely unrelated and unconnected to my daily life. A squabble about the spiritual value of hand-washing hardly seems applicable or practical. Yet once we dive into this text and, and get to the heart of this debate, we will see just how relevant this ancient debate is for our daily lives and indeed our eternal future. Why is this? Well, because it cuts to the core question that we all seem to ask and must ask as human beings. Um, Everyone in some way or another has an answer to and is asking this question, whether they know it or not. The question is, how can I be right with God? How can I be right with God? God. Every world religion seeks to answer this question. And even those philosophies and um, ideas which claim to be secular, that is without God, 
like secular humanism, still ask this basic question, just with a different emphasis. Um, They ask, how can I be a good human? Or how can I be a good citizen? That is, how can I be right with those around me, replacing God with others? Or um, even more to our day and age, a more individualized philosophy of life, how can I be right with myself? How can I be right with myself, replacing God with self? So whether uh, you are a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a humanist or uh, whatever you are, at some level, I believe that every human being is asking this fundamental question, how can I be right? How can I be right with God, with myself, with others? And how we answer this question will determine where we will be for all eternity. How we answer this fundamental question, how can I be right with God, will determine how we live now and where we will be for all eternity. The answers are the difference between true and false worship, life and death, heaven and hell, and true joy here and now. And so although this seems like an ancient debate about hand washing, it's so much more. We're going to dive into this text today, and in it, we're going to have Jesus warning us, warning us of the dangers of worship. And that's the title for today's message, The Dangers of Worship. Jesus is going to provide uh, the Pharisees, the crowds, the disciples, and us two main dangers to avoid in our worship. And then we're going to tie it all together at the end. So let's dive in and uncover this passage and see how can we be right with God ourselves. Point number one for us today, the danger of worthless worship. The danger of worthless worship. Let me just back up for a moment and set the scene to get us oriented. So what we've been learning in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is this great teacher and a man of incredible power. Uh, He's able to heal, cast out demons. We've seen in the past weeks that he can feed 5,000 men plus women and children. He can walk on water. He can calm storms. He can raise the dead. Uh, Not only that, but he also breaks all the traditions, the religious traditions of the time. They were very strict on purity and not touching unclean things, but Jesus would touch lepers, uh, bleeding women, dead bodies. Uh, He would go and hang out with tax collectors, sinners, and Gentiles. And so as a result uh, of Jesus's incredible, powerful ministry, his powerful teaching, and his, uh, you know, uh, uh, crazy kind of way of living that just didn't make sense to the religious leaders, We learn in this text that a delegation has been sent up from Jerusalem to investigate this man from Nazareth that's causing a kerfuffle with. You can imagine in an ancient city, thousands and thousands of people following Jesus around and not just one or two people, but tens of thousands of people. So they send a semi-formal delegation up um, of Pharisees and scribes, the passage tells us, to investigate Jesus. And uh, in the end of chapter 14, after Jesus has walked on water, he gets off the boat in Genesaret and he heals a whole bunch more people. And the Pharisees presumably are there watching. (laughs) But tragically, as they're watching, they're not looking in with a humble heart. They're not looking in to see, oh, I mean, what can I learn from this? Or, man, he is coming with power or teaching. Instead, the Pharisees are ready 
to attack. They're ready for a religious showdown because they've already formulated their idea of what is right and wrong, how to worship God according to their own traditions. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. They launch straight into an attack, and, and they don't even attack Jesus first and foremost. They attack his disciples, but by implication, they're attacking Jesus. And they've noticed, they've seen Jesus healing, they've seen Jesus you know, going about this practice, and they're looking and they're going, hmm, look, he's not that religious. He's not that holy. He's not that committed to the traditions and the teachings of our forefathers because they don't even do the ritual cleansing before they eat. And so the, the elders, the, the Pharisees, get all jacked up about this. They get all angry. Oh, they start sneering. It'll be like, uh, you know, list, us listening to an awesome and incredible sermon. And then instead of asking, how should I change or what should I do? Or, you know, what do I need to learn from this? It'll be like us asking, Does this did this preacher go to Bible college? Does he have a degree? Uh, where we have these kind of traditions and these ideas about what authenticates someone, what makes someone a true worshipper, but we actually miss the real point of what's going on. And to us, you know, this question from the Pharisees seems like a hygiene question, especially in COVID. Whoa, 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 whoa. They are sharing food. They don't have masks on. Uh, they don't have hand sanitizer. This is insane. Uh, but for the Pharisees, this is not a question of hygiene. This is a question of devotion to God and spiritual purity. Because in this day and age, uh, what had happened was that these rituals of purity and cleansing had become intertwined with what it meant to be a faithful follower of God. It goes back, just a little bit of a history on this, it goes back a couple of hundred years um, after the Israelites got kicked out of uh, the temple and the, the, the dwelling place of Jerusalem. When they got back in and they rededicated the temple, a, a, a movement arose of people that we now call Pharisees that were so strict and determined on obeying the law of God that what they decided to do was to take the strictest rules, the rules that were set aside for priests, and apply them to all the peoples. So in, uh, in the Old Testament, in the law, there's actually all these rules about ritual cleansing and purity, but most of them are actually for the priests, not for the common people. But the Pharisees were so scared of being kicked out of the land again. And they started with good intentions that, that what they wanted to do was apply the strictest laws to everyone so that Israel would be pure, so that their worship would be genuine and devoted and not be tainted by all these false ideas and, and false religions. In a sense, what they wanted was the people of God uh, to not, you know, accidentally bring in practices of Hinduism in our day and age or Buddhism or, or Islam, but to, to be pure. And so what they did was they, you have the law of God, say it's here. And then what they did was they put a fence of extra rules around the law of God so that you wouldn't even get close to breaking the law of God. And, and so what they wanted to do was to make sure the people of God were really strictly pure and free from breaking uh, God's law. But like with all good ideas for staying holy, when they're not rooted in the Bible and they're not commanded by God, they're liable to being abused, um, to being perverted, and ultimately uh, to leading us away from him. In our day and age, you might have your own kind of little personal legalisms or traditions or fences 
that might keep you, uh, that for you really help you to worship God properly. You might be devoted to reading and praying at a certain time of the day and thinking, you know, 6 a.m. for one hour is the only way to be a holy Christian. Uh, and you, for you, you're like, I really need this. But when we start to impose those limits on other people and we start to trust in those limits, then they become really dangerous. That's what has happened with the Pharisees. What started off as a good-hearted devotion became a dangerous practice of worship. And so in verses 3 to 9, we see that Jesus has absolutely no tolerance for their question, really their accusation. Jesus comes back at them with two carefully aimed blows, like a boxer going for it, a one-two punch that really does knock them out. And although they claim that Jesus is disobeying, what he shows them is that they're the ones that are truly disobeying. And what we're going to see is that there's actually a danger that Jesus is warning each and every one of us with in here. So let's lean in. Verses three through six. He answered them. That's Jesus answering the Pharisees. (laughs) This is massive. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. The warning that Jesus has here for the the Pharisees is that true disobedience is obeying the teaching of man in a way that disobeys the law of God, and the result is worthless worship. True disobedience is obeying whenever you obey a law of man in a way that disobeys the law of God, and the result, we'll see in a second, is worthless worship. Although they'd originally created these laws to help, over time, the sinfulness of man had taken over and sullied these fences and made them excuses and ways to actually sin. Jesus brings up one example of how they have totally disobeyed God. They've taken their man-made rule and they obey that and in the process disobey God. And he uses this example of the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother which for now and then meant not just obeying them and doing what they say, but actually means to provide for them in their old age. And over time, they developed this practice where um, what you could do is if you wanted to get out of having to provide for your parents in their old age, which takes a particularly sick and uh, sort of selfish person, uh, and I guess all of us may be tempted toward it at one point, uh, but what you could do is actually devote or make a vow that all your property and belongings are to the temple or to God, And if you did that, then when your parents say they called you and said, we need money or we need cash or we need something now to help us through, you could actually say, oh, sorry, uh, it's Corbin. It's devoted to God and therefore um, I can't give it to you. The catch was is that not only could you devote it to God and not give it to your parents, you could actually use it for yourself. You just couldn't give it to other people. And so they came up with this law. They used one law, the law of vows that's in the, in the Mosaic law, to break the law of the Ten Commandments. And it's, it all comes from this desire uh, to follow the man-made rules and to work them so that you can get what you truly want. It's wickedly clever. 
It's wickedly clever. And Jesus sees right through it. And so they come to him and say, why do you break the traditions of man? And he says, why do you break the traditions of God? Or not the traditions of God, the word of God, the commands of God. And then Jesus pronounces judgment on them. Verse 7 through 9. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Let me read that again. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is a devastating critique of the foremost religious leaders of the time. Uh, this is, you know, this is like Martin Luther calling the Pope the devil. Uh, this is ultimately looking at these leaders who were the most respected people in their community and saying, you are not even loving God or in his camp. You are totally, totally far from him. What he was seeing was that although they said with their lips and with their hands, I'm worshipping God. I follow God. I'm devoted to God. Their hearts were far from him. They were hypocrites, acting like they were devoted to God, but really they were devoted to themselves. And the result? All their hard work, all their religious devotion, all their teaching is vanity. It is like steam in the air, gone, worthless. It is worthless worship, or another way of putting it, disobedient devotion. They are worthless worshippers and disobedient in their devotion. But friends, this is not just a danger for them. This is a present threat and danger for all of us, for all human religions and traditions. It's a danger for our friends, our families, our neighbours around us, and perhaps for some of us who are listening right now. The danger is we can set up whole systems to try and make ourselves right with God so that we can look great on the outside, but completely distant and disobedient to him on the inside. doesn't matter what you call it. Call it Islam, Hinduism, humanism, Catholicism, or even evangelicalism. If your way of making yourself right with God depends on the traditions of men rather than the teaching and commands of God as described in his word in the Bible, it is worthless worship. Practically, if you are trusting in external traditions and obediences for your right standing with God, you are in dangerous territory. If you think to yourself, because I do these things, I must be right with God. Jesus is warning us that it's entirely possible to devote your entire life to doing what you think is the right thing, but done with the wrong heart and you're a million miles away from God. For example, a danger for us um, in our church would be to trust in church or life group attendance, serving on the roster, giving 
personal devotions, being a good neighbor, uh, being a good citizen, um, all these type of things that we do week in and week out and looking at them and going, yeah, I'm good with God because I did these things. I turned up, I gave, I sung, I raised my hands. If we trust in doing those things, but we don't actually have our heart connected to God, we're in danger of worthless worship. A question uh, to help you kind of ascertain is, why are you on Zoom this morning? Why are you sitting here listening? Is it because you just want to keep up appearances? Is it because it's what you should do? Uh, and in a sense, that's not necessarily bad. Is it because you, um, you know, feel guilty if you don't? Or is it because you want your soul to be connected and to worship with God? If you look at yourself and think, I think I'm right with God because of what I do, then you're in danger. You're in danger just like the Pharisees of honoring with your lips, but your heart is far from him. Because what does God want from his people? What does he want from you and I? Ultimately, he wants our hearts first. He wants us to truly love him because of who he is. And then when we serve, we serve him out of that love, not to earn it or stay in it. Friends, I know it's easy. It's easy to drift away by degrees, to go through the motions of being a Christian, doing Christian things, but not actually having our hearts close to God. It's a danger. It's a danger of worship. It's a danger of being a member of a church. And Jesus is warning us. And may it never be said of us, maybe never be said of this church, in vain do they worship me. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens in degrees, bit by bit, week by week. Why, why doesn't this work? Why doesn't God like just external doing things? What's the problem with that? I mean, every religion is based on it. That's, that's the fundamental thing that unites all religions and human systems is everyone's trying to do good things on the outside. Well, that's where we move to point number two, where Jesus returns to the example of hand washing to show that it's possible to do lots of righteous looking things externally, but internally be full of sin. So point number one, the danger of worthless worship. Point number two, the danger of clean hands, but dirty hearts. The danger of clean hands, but dirty hearts. And again, we get to, I love these little moments where the, the gospel writers let us see just some of the dynamics of how Jesus taught. Because in this in verse 10 and 11, we see Jesus in love wanting to protect the crowds from this destructive practice. They're, this is the world, the air that they breathe, the religious air that they breathe of doism. Now, that's what they've been taught by the Pharisees in the synagogues. And he doesn't want them to be fooled. Yes, these guys look uber spiritual. They look, they're like they're one step away from heaven. But the reality, he says later on, is that they're blind gods leading others to fall into the pits of hell. And so I love verse 10 where Jesus said, uh, where Matthew says, 
and he called the people to him. So you imagine all these crowds and you got these Pharisees yelling at him and, and he, he's, come here, come here, everyone, come here. And he says, hear and understand. So really lean in. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Jesus is saying you can be washed but still dirty because much to the the contrary of, of the thinking of that time, true spiritual dirtiness comes from the inside out, not the outside in. True dirtiness comes out from defiled hearts, not in from the defiled world. Jesus is telling the crowds and us the ultimate problem isn't what we do with our hands and and out here. It's what we do in our heart. This was counter to their thinking, and it's just as counter to the thinking of our day and age. All you have to do is pick up a a modern parenting book or uh, read anything online about parenting um, by modern psychology, and you'll see that modern psychology denies that children are born sinful, that children are born evil. Uh, Instead, children are born innocent, neutral. Uh, That tantrum isn't selfishness. That tantrum is their inability to communicate, um, we're told. And then we perpetuate this myth beyond infancy into adult maturity. Uh, We think, oh, well, most people are all good people, okay? We're neutral and um, we're good. We we incline to do good, but we make mistakes. Uh, You know, we get into bad groups and peer pressure makes us do things. Uh, But deep down, we're not bad people. We just make bad choices. Our hearts are sort of like Teflon or stainless steel. Uh, You can just wipe it off and, and there's no stain anymore. It's gone. There's no marks. But as we know, this is not the case. And this is certainly not what Jesus believes about the human heart. He's already taught us about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He's taught us about it in Matthew chapter 12. But again, he reiterates this same point again. Uh, But this time he actually explains the deeper principle only to the disciples in verse 17 to 20. And I want us to zone in on this because it's just a helpful reminder And if you're new to the Christian faith, this might be like, whoa, 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 I don't understand this. What do you mean? Well, let's let Jesus explain it for us. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What Jesus is saying is what I said earlier. Our dirtiness comes from inside out, not outside in. It's possible to have clean hands, but a dirty heart. It's possible to do all the right things. It's possible to have an incredibly generous merciful, servant-hearted, kind, philanthropic Muslim, Hindu, Catholic, um, evangelical Christian, member of Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta, but to have a filthy, dirty heart. It's possible for people out there. It's possible for the pastor here. It's possible for you and I. 
because the defilement is from the inside. The true problem with all of humanity is not circumstance. It's not the environment. It's not even the choices that we do. It's the defilement in our hearts. A bunch of us are reading through a book by Paul Tripp called Parenting. It's a wonderful book. And in chapter two, he talks about um, that our, our problem as parents, and, and this is true for all Christians, is, is our hearts, that sin flows from inside out. And he, he illustrates it like this. If you spill a cup and water goes everywhere, um, the only thing that can come out of that cup that was spilt was what was already in there. So as you're living your life and someone cuts in on you in the traffic or your kids do something annoying or a colleague gossips about you or slanders you or someone breaks up with you or you know some health circumstance happens and your cup is spilled, this circumstance happens and your heart, <laughs> your cup is spilled, which is your heart, and what pours out of it is what was already in there. So when anger, frustration, jealousy, lust, hatred, you know, slander, all these things pour out of our heart, we can't blame the thing that knocked the cup because the thing that knocked the cup, all it did was reveal what was already there. So if there's water in the cup, water will come out. If there's milk in the cup, milk will come out. Um, if there's sin and filthiness in our hearts, that's what comes out. And Jesus wants to know that without him and his cleansing, what comes out of our heart isn't pure water by default. It's black ink. Our, our hearts draw with permanent marker. It smears, it stains, it defiles us. And our hearts render us spiritually dirty, even if we look squeaky clean on the outside. Now, this is very confronting. Now, this is very confronting to me as I read the passage um, as I meditate on this week, because what Jesus is saying is that those secret thoughts we have are just as defiling and dirty as the sinful actions we take. The secret thoughts and the attitudes of our heart that no one else can see, they are the real defining moment or the, they really reveal the state and attitude of our heart. For me, I want to blame shift, make excuses for my actions, blame the person that knocked my cup over. That's why that stuff came out, of course. But I was really leveled as I read this. And I had to reckon with the reality of my spiritual uh, inward dirtiness, that what comes out of me, that what's instinctive in me at times is sin, uh, not righteousness, not cleanliness. And perhaps it is for you too. Perhaps you're terribly afraid of anyone finding out what really you think, what really you believe, what really goes on. You, you might be really, really good at um, putting up a, a, a really good Christian facade and being a really good person. But internally, privately, if we were to display your thoughts and the intentions of your heart, um, you, you would be revealed as a, as a hypocrite potentially or desperately sick. And, and this is a problem for everyone, uh, for every human being. We're all born with this defilement. We're all born falling short of the glory of God. We're born sick. Our hearts beat, um, one commentator says, uh, but they're diseased. And so what flows through our bloodstream
right with God. And so we come up with all these different ways of making ourselves right with God. Call it Hinduism, Islam, Catholicism, evangelical Christianity, call it what you will. They're all symptoms of us trying to make ourselves right, trying to cleanse this inside of us by cleansing the outside. So what's the solution? Well, Jesus doesn't give one. Now the passage ends and Jesus goes off into Gentile territory. And But we're not going to end there because I want to, I want to land on where the end of this gospel lands. That's point number three, true cleansing and true worship. So point number one, the danger of worthless worship, just doing the outside, but the Point number two, the inside, excuse me, the inside is actually dirty. So point number three, how do we be right with God truly? How do we cleanse ourselves from the inside out? The reality is, sadly, that there are many false solutions and false systems of cleansing out there. The Pharisees had theirs. Um, It's like in the mold cleaning world that some of you know way more about than me, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But from what I understand, most mold cleaning products that you buy don't actually get rid of mold. Uh, What they do is they bleach it uh, and they sort of get rid of a surface level, but the mold spores remain. So all it takes is a bit of moisture and hydration and the mold comes back again. That's what most human religion systems are like. We cleanse the surface, we bleach the mold, but we don't actually get rid of it. We're still infected. And this is where Jesus is a complete break and a completely different system from every other religion. This is the glory and the craziness of Christianity because Jesus offers no man-made solution for making ourselves well again. We're, We're addicted as humans to creating systems that we can do to make ourselves well. Even in, you know, the, the major other religion of the world, Catholicism, um, they have some a semi-apparent uh, way of making ourselves clean with God. It talks about Jesus. It, it mentions that faith in Jesus, but really it's a man-made system to cleanse ourselves. You get baptized as a child. You take the sacraments and you're welcomed into the church. You belong to the church. Every week you take the mass to uh, cleanse yourself and reunite your body with Christ. You go to the priest for your confessions. You pray to the saints and get indulgences. You do this, keep up, get rid of, stay away from all the bad sins, and you keep yourself right with God. But really, it's a false and wicked life. It's a false and wicked life. It presents a half-truth. And it confirms that internal human tradition we have, which is I can do it myself. Yeah, with God, but I can do it. I must do it. Like I said earlier, but we have our own. Um, We can have the same problem of trusting in because I went to church, because I lifted my hands, because I prayed the prayer, because I went to life group, because I serve on roster, because I give, I must be right with God. But if you're trusting in what you're doing, you're trusting in a false solution. You're trusting in a false solution. Recently, it's been reported in Germany that a nurse who was actually an anti-vaxxer has been putting saline in vaccine vials and distributing it to patients. 
So all these people are coming and thinking they're receiving a vaccine to protect them from the deadly disease of COVID, but instead they've been injected with saline. It's a false solution. It has no efficacy. And that's all these external man-made solutions. The only true cleansing solution we have for our defiled hearts is Jesus Christ. It's a radical break. The only way to cleanse yourself internally is not to cleanse your heart, but to receive a new one. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. There's no way of fixing ourselves up. There's no way of adding to it or making it happen. We have to be born again. We have to press restart and be completely changed from the inside out. But then what makes it even more radical is we can't do that ourselves. We can't born ourselves again. We can't change our hearts. We can't do heart surgery. We have to totally rely on someone outside of us to do the work inside of us. And that's why Christianity is so incredible and so hard for us to accept. Even you know, as Christians who are born again, we often come back to wanting to do it ourselves, rather trusting in him to do it for us. But the solution is Jesus Christ himself. You see, what began in this debate was, hey, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. But funnily enough, the solution comes in a practice of eating and drinking. And we see it on the night before Jesus was died, when Jesus shares the Last Supper and he communicates to the disciples the ultimate way to be cleansed of their sins. Let me read Matthew 26, verse 26 and 28. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The way we're saved is not by washing our hands before we eat and drink, but by eating and drinking and fully receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. He cleanses our hearts of all of our sins through his perfect life and substitutionary death on the cross. And as we symbolize this by chomping on bread and, and drinking down wine. It symbolizes Christ coming into us, that we are united with him, that his very life and his very blood is now ours, and that we have been fully set free from all of our sins with his precious blood. We are cleansed. True cleansing comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. We have to totally give up on our own efforts our own obediences, our own external things, and trust only that his blood has made the payment. Trust only that he is righteous. He makes us right before God himself. You know, friends, we don't have to pretend. As Christians, we don't have to pretend like we've got it all together. Instead, what we need to do is realize that he has it all together for us and then confess him, trust in him, rely in him, worship him and glory in him. The Apostle Paul said it so well to the Corinthians 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. See that warning. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In what? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So, friends, the only way to have true cleansing is to be in Christ and receive him by faith and to rely on him every day for that salvation, to never start drifting into trusting what you do, but instead trusting in what he has done. Let me ask you this, friends, members, is your heart close to the Lord today? Is your heart close to the Lord as you serve him, as you obey him, as you do things in your hands for him? Or is your heart far from him? Are you doing all the right things but a million miles away in your heart? Let me encourage you. The life of the Christian is not meant to be determined by external obediences primarily but internal devotion to Christ. And then that flows out into true and proper worship. We obey God from our heart and then live with him in all of our lives. But don't get it mixed up. Don't live for him in all your life and, don't, and miss out on loving him with all your heart. Remember, what's the great commandment? To love God with all your heart, not to obey him. It's so easy to get that mixed up, to love him, to know him, to enjoy him, to be friends with him, to be close with him, to, to sing to him, to praise him, to serve him because you love him. That's what God is looking for in true worshipers. And how do we do this? Well, it begins with humbly assessing our hearts and confessing any areas where we are far from him, where we're trying to clean ourselves up, where we're not obeying his commandments, we're making our own strategies and, and, and laws. It begins with genuine repentance and perhaps even telling others, I, I think I've been almost living a lie lately. I've been pretending, but my heart's not there. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? It involves putting off the old self renewing your mind and putting on the new self. Friends, we need new hearts, cleansed hearts. And when we cry out to God, he is so merciful and gracious, he will answer you. You humble yourself before God and say, Lord, I've been far from you. I'm drifting away. Bring me back. He will. He will because he promises to. So turn back, friends, if this is you. If you're not yet a Christian and, and you're trying to be a good person and, and get it all right and, and you're hoping maybe I'm right with God by what I do, please give up. Please investigate what Jesus has to say that you can only be, you, you're, you're actually dirty on the inside and you need him to cleanse you. So we've seen today in this ancient debate 
the danger of worthless worship. We've seen the danger of having clean hands but dirty hearts. And we've seen the true solution and true worship is to be changed from the inside and for that to work its way to the outside. Well, friend, would you draw near to God and experience his presence of a clean heart and full joy? And if you're experiencing trouble with this, reach out for help. You're not on your own. Uh, You're not the world's worst person because you do this, uh, but you're in danger if you're there. And so reach out and say, I think I'm in danger. Would you please help me? Let me pray for us. Lord God, I pray and ask that you would help us to never worship you in vain, to never just do things and go through the motions and obey and obey and obey out of obedience to external traditions, to wanting to look good to other members in our church. Instead, would our hearts be close to you? Oh, Lord, for myself and for my friends, would you renew within us greater joy, greater affection for you? Lord, would we realize that the sins in our lives flow out of, flow out of the impurities of our heart? And, Lord, would you cleanse us afresh? Would you cleanse us anew? Would we walk by the Spirit so that what flows out of us is you? Would we be renewed by day by day, by degree by degree, to be conformed to the image of you, Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, we can't do it ourselves, we admit. We need you to do it. So, Lord, I plead for myself and my friends, change us from the inside out by your mercy and for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.